Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Policy Pack Software, Goliath Technologies, and Liquidware. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. BleepyComputer.com reported this week that Microsoft shared a mitigation for a remote code execution vulnerability in Windows that is being exploited in targeted attacks against Office 365 and Office 2019 on Windows 10. They say that the flaw is in MSHTML, the browser rendering engine that is also used by Office documents. The vulnerability is labeled as CVE-2021-40444 and the security issue affects Windows Server 2008 through 2019 and on the desktop side, Windows 8.1 through Windows 10. And it's been given a severity rating of 8.8 out of 10. Now, if you've left the default office setting and behavior in place, which is opening documents from the web always opens in a protected view or using application guard for Office 365, well, then that should be enough to prevent an attack. But if not, you could be in danger at risk. And it's a good idea. Unfortunately, at the time of this recording, there is no patch available. There's only a workaround. And that workaround is to set some registry settings to disable the installation of all ActiveX controls in Internet Explorer. This ensures that ActiveX is rendered inactive for all sites while still allowing already available ActiveX controls to keep functioning. Kevin Beaumont warned that he thinks this one is going to be really bad, so strap in. And if you want that registry setting, Bleepy Computer provided an actual download of a .reg file that has the settings available, and I'll share a link to that article that contains the reg file with this episode, which is episode 193, and you'll find that on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links for this episode. Cyber National Mission Force tweeted this week about a mass exploitation of an Atlassian Confluence vulnerability labeled CVE-2021-26084. And unfortunately, that exploitation or mass exploitation is ongoing and only expected to get worse. On MITRE.org, it states for this vulnerability that in affected versions of Confluence Server and Data Center, an OGNL injection vulnerability exists that would allow an unauthenticated attacker to execute arbitrary code on a Confluence Server or Data Center instance. The affected versions are before version 6.13.23, from version 6.140, before 7.4.11, from version 7.5.0 before 7.11.6, and also from version 7.12.0 before 7.12.5. One of the reported victims of a cyber attack stemming from this vulnerability is the very popular Jenkins service. It appears that they got off kind of lucky as it was a crypto mining campaign that hit them. 
They state that the attack spun up a container on their service that started crypto mining, but their team took the server offline immediately and rotated all passwords, and there's no plan to bring Confluence back by Jenkins. Patches are available, so get out there and patch. The Cyber National Mission Force, when they tweeted about this a few days ago, were recommending that people patch immediately, and this is one that cannot wait until after the weekend. Now, obviously, it's after the weekend, so if you haven't patched yet and you haven't been hit, you may not even know that you have been hit. You better do a deep dive and check, but by all means, patch. Patch immediately. Last week, when covering the Windows Server 2022 launch, I mentioned that Ruben confirmed that the multi-session licensing is still available, so RDSH will be possible. I specifically said that that could mean continuation of published desktops on the new OS. But what I had completely forgot about was a previous story that I reported on the podcast many months ago. Office 365 is not supported on Server 2022. Office 365 will only be supported on Server 2019, and that's only up until October 2025 as of right now. So it seems that this is the set death date for a usable published desktop containing full office. And I got into a bit of a discussion on Twitter thinking that, oh, well, maybe we can submit a user voice to keep the possibility of a published desktop around by getting Office 365 support on the new OS. But it was also pointed out to me, (laughs) and I'd covered it on the podcast before, that the user voice site has gone away. Uh, One of the alternatives is to use the feedback hub that's integrated within Microsoft products. So out of interest, I spun up a Server 2022 instance in Azure to see if the feedback hub was available there, and it was not. There's some alternative suggestions of posting on some of the GitHub repos, so maybe that's a good option. I'm not sure what's the official stance yet because I haven't got a response. But that seems like a potential big blocker for published desktops on 2022. The Real Shodan on Twitter shared some stats on the last year of attacks against Microsoft's sensor network. And these stats were pretty interesting. So attacks collected over 14 billion and the top three trends and increases was that RDP-based attacks were up 325%, network printing 178%, and Docker K8s 110%. So not all that surprising. I mean, RDP is going to be an obvious one. Network printing, printing had a disaster over a few months in terms of security vulnerabilities, and Docker has been growing as a target, which personally I think is partly because it's somewhat easy to hide within those Docker containers. There's not as much visibility as through traditional means on a network. That's why products like New Vector are so valuable. So those are the increases, but the top three decreases were HTTP down by 36%, FTP by 40%, and Telnet by 56%. And that's the percentage changes for the last year. It's warned that while there have been decreases, the number of attacks in the last year are still huge. So don't take that as being no threat at all to like HTTP or Telnet. Secure things as much as you possibly can. So you know that weather icon that landed on Windows 10 that a lot of people hate? 
You know, the one you click on that expands and opens up some tiles with the weather and news. Well, Microsoft appeared to be launching an app for Android as well as a standalone website called Microsoft Start. You're able to personalize what kind of content appears in your newsfeed. And this looks like it may become a replacement for the MSN site. Now, not too many IT workers are thrilled with this being forced onto the operating system. I saw that Patrick Koba brought up concerns in particular for VDI in the past too. I have noticed in Windows 365 Cloud PC that the weather and newsfeed setting is not picking up my client's actual location. It seems to be based off of the data center that the PC itself is being hosted in. And if I change it, it resets after a few minutes back to what it was before. So it seems like something that's a very commercial feature being forced on enterprise as an opt-out feature rather than opt-in, which is kind of annoying. Maybe when they're rolling out Windows 11, they'll make it opt-in for enterprise SKUs. That would be nice. And speaking of integrations into the Windows taskbar, it was reported that a recent ad pushed to Windows 11 users' taskbars to promote the integration of Teams into the operating system caused Explorer to stop responding in the preview releases. Early adopters were advised to make a registry change in order to deal with the issue according to a post on ctrl.blog. The blog went on to explain that the ad was delivered via a small file through the Iris service, which is the Windows version of Spotlight. It appears a JSON file edit to deliver the ad caused problems. Of course, this is a preview, but as the post states, this is also a worrying development. It would suck if ads that are unwanted by users in the first place started causing stability issues. Andreas Hammerskjold tweeted that it appears enabling branch cache in server 2022 can lead to blue screen of death problems. And as Johan then pointed out, that is a required feature for your config man distribution points and also some other services. So if you need branch cache on server, maybe don't rush to 2022 just yet. I covered some exciting news from Liquidware recently on the FlexApp One container product that can allow you to use a portable app and deploy it using Microsoft Endpoint Manager and any other software distribution tool of your choice. Well, this week, Liquidware announced FlexApp package automation that they say will provide benefits including bulk packaging of EXEs, MSI, MSIX, etc. You'll leverage multiple packaging consoles working independently to greatly accelerate packaging. Package output is turnkey and ready to distribute via the Profile Unity console. It's ideal for integration with DevOps, so presumably things like Ansible and maybe Azure DevOps Pipeline and products like that. And it also aids application managers' workflows by working with major application vendors' silent install switches. Any and all automation to make things easier is welcome, so this is an exciting announcement. Microsoft have announced that a change performance tiers for Azure Premium Solid State Drives with no downtime is now generally available. They say that on Azure Premium SSDs, you can now change the performance tiers without any downtime to your application and you can change the performance tier of a disk even when it is attached to a running virtual machine. 
For planned events like say a seasonal sales promotion or running a training environment, you may need to achieve sustained higher performance for a few hours or days and then have it return to normal performance levels. And with the performance tiers on premium SSDs, you have the flexibility to scale the disk performance without increasing the disk size by selecting that higher performance tier. You can also change tiers to bring them back to your baseline performance tier, enabling you to achieve higher performance and also obviously cost savings too. So this one is not directly enterprise IT related, but some may still care. ProtonMail are catching some heat for complying with a Swiss police legal request to provide information including IP addresses and device details for a group called Youth for Climate Action in Paris. The Register reported that ProtonMail has said in the past that it does not collect user data and implements end-to-end -end encryption and repeated that again over the weekend saying, quote, under no circumstances, however, can our encryption be bypassed, meaning emails, attachments, calendars, files, etc. cannot be compromised by legal orders. Now, this statement overlooked the fact that their own privacy policy states that user information, including sender and recipient email addresses, IP addresses for incoming messages originated from, message subject, message sent and received times, can be accessed by them and also for SMTP settings, some of that's not encrypted either, according to the register article. Users were upset due to those claims about end-to-end -end encryption as it made people think that this kind of data would never be handed over to the police per their statement. But ProtonMail have now updated their privacy policy to include, quote, if you're breaking Swiss law, ProtonMail can be legally compelled to log your IP address as part of a Swiss criminal investigation. So I guess they have to be flexible. They're hosted in Switzerland, so they're subject to the law in Switzerland and also probably pressure from the Swiss law enforcement. No one is above the law. In a major case of corporate whoopsies, McDonald's in the UK accidentally sent login names and passwords for their Monopoly VIP game to all winners of the game. Someone sent one of the emails to Troy Hunt, who then shared it with Bleeping Computer. The person who got the email said it also included host names for Azure SQL databases and the database's login names and passwords. The person who sent the email said that, that they saw a production SQL database server, but it seemed to be firewalled off and they were not able to log into it, but they were able to use some of the included credentials to access a staging server. The report suggests that these databases may have contained winning prize codes, so it could have allowed an unscrupulous person to download unused game codes to claim prizes, which is actually pretty timely because there was a really great documentary that came out recently based on the McDonald's Monopoly game in the US and how some people were gaming the system to win the largest prizes. This seems like an easier way to do it than those people in the documentary did. Now, luckily for McDonald's, the person responsibly disclosed the issue to McDonald's. And while they did not receive a response to them disclosing this, they later found out that the staging server's password was changed. McDonald's, while not responding to the person's email, did give a statement to Bleepy Computer stating, quote, 
Due to an administrative error, a small number of customers received details for staging website by email. No personal details were compromised or shared with other parties. Those affected would be contacted to reassure them that this was a human error and their information remains safe. We take data privacy very seriously and apologize for any undue concern this error had caused. I feel a little bit frustrated about this one because when preparing for a previous session that I did at E2EVC, I went around just doing like port scans on public networks to grab screenshots in order to talk about some like network security based on guest Wi-Fi's. And while doing so, I actually stumbled upon a pretty serious security lapse from a fast food restaurant in Ireland who had very sensitive point of sale devices on their actual open public guest network. And this wasn't like a small one-off restaurant, you know, like maybe a bar where you can go up and ask for the Wi-Fi password or the Wi-Fi password is written on a blackboard or something behind the bar. You know, in that case, you'd almost expect them to have their point of sale, whether it's one or two for a small bar like that, you'd almost expect them to have them on the same network because they're not gonna be that savvy, but this was a pretty large enterprise with hundreds of restaurants. And like this person, I did the responsible thing and I disclosed it to that restaurant. And I did see a few weeks later that that particular location no longer had the point of sale devices on the public guest network. But the company never bothered to like respond to me, thank me for disclosing it to them before it became a major security problem. They just ignored the fact that I brought it up. I also brought up some concerns to some other Irish companies and even some American companies when I lived there. And that seems to be common practices. They just ignore it, fix it, and move on. And don't give you any like, hey, thanks for letting us know, which is kind of annoying, but whatever. Autodesk have disclosed that they were one of the SolarWinds customers breached via the major vulnerability that occurred several months ago. In a filing with the American Stock Exchange Commission, Autodesk said it had identified a compromised server in the wake of public reporting of that SolarWinds breach and identified it and promptly took steps to contain or remediate the incidents. While they believe that no customer operations or Autodesk products were disrupted as a result of the attack, other similar attacks could have a significant impact on their systems and operations. So obviously when they're filing that with the American Stock Exchange Commission, that's because it's a publicly traded company and they have an obligation to share that. And if you don't remember, I covered the SolarWinds breach in depth on several episodes of the podcast. You could search for it on 5bytespodcast.com. But I believe the last number was around 18,000 customers who were potentially affected by it. Last bit of news. The festive tech calendar end of year event is going to be held again this year. And they are searching for speakers on content pretty much ranging across all of technology. So if you'd like to speak one day in December, you could submit your idea and potentially get picked to speak and fill out the calendar for December with some great events. And now some scripts, tricks, and tips. 
I saw that Oaksala.net posted a really cool blog showing how to use an Elgato Stream Desk to run Azure DevOps pipelines. So I know a lot of techies have that Stream Deck. I find it really, really useful for doing things like, you know, starting the recording, the screen recording within Camtasia and then stopping it. It's easier than hitting the keys or clicking stop on the actual button. I've also programmed it and use it with Flight Simulator, so don't laugh because it's a little bit lame. I've got actually one of those yokes and also some rudder pedals and throttles for playing Flight Simulator, but that doesn't cover all of the functions that you need to do when you're flying a plane in the game. Like, for example, changing the flap settings, for taking off or putting on the parking brake, they're not accommodated for on buttons on the yoke and the other components that I have. So I programmed them into buttons on the Stream Deck. So I pretty much got everything covered that I need to in flight without having to use the mouse or keyboard. So I think that's pretty cool. And there's all kinds of other different use cases that I use my Stream Deck for. Ryan Mangan's book, An Introduction to MSIX App Attach Dynamic Application Delivery, is currently available for free on Amazon via Kindle. So if you want a really great introduction to MSIX App Attach, check it out. And also I saw that Ryan shared a really interesting GitHub repo called KVDI, which contains a virtual desktop infrastructure running on Kubernetes. So Kubernetes is a huge buzz right now, but it's mainly for people in DevOps and just kind of developers in general and um, those who are into microservices. But there hasn't been all that much attention in the EUC space, so this is a really interesting one to me. I'm definitely going to try and check it out. Just a reminder that there's another awesome EUC-based podcast called the EUC Digest. And on the most recent episode, they covered the story about HP acquiring Teradici, Zoom acquiring 5.9, Box's new graph connector, Microsoft's Linux distro, and also some great community blogs on Windows 365 Cloud PC. So check out that podcast. It's very different to this one because they've got a panel of some great EUC talent hosting and discussing topics rather than me just kind of regurgitating information. So it's something different, definitely worth checking out. I saw this week that my buddy Tom Fenton had a really great blog post on virtualizationreview.com on the topic of installing multimedia redirection on IGIL OS. And he goes into showing some of the metrics doing a comparison of running, say, Zoom, for example, or running a Zoom session in a session via IGIL OS without the multimedia redirection and showing performance versus with the multimedia redirection. And it's pretty convincing that we should be using this multimedia redirection whenever possible. And finally, sticking with my buddy Tom, something that he taught me last week and I found really, really useful. Very simple, but I did not know this and I don't think Tom knew it until recently either. But PowerPoint has a feature called Reuse Slides. So you could search within PowerPoint for Reuse Slides and it brings up this feature on the right of the screen displaying some of your previously worked on or used PowerPoint slides. So if you're like me and maybe you work in marketing and you need to 
reuse or maybe copy in one or two slides from a previous deck into a new slide, this is really, really useful. You don't have to go searching for the PowerPoint uh, slide deck from the past and open that up side by side and then copy it out and keep the formatting and all that junk. You could just use the reuse slides, find the slide and bring it over. Really, really useful. Something simple, but also saves you a lot of time and is very powerful. Well, that's it for another episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening.